Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Master Gardener Hour, a one-hour show where we talk to garden professionals and gardeners from all walks of life, all growing different types of plants. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. I am an active Master Gardener and get the certification for over a decade and through six different states. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. If you have any questions about something in your garden, please post it on our Facebook page, and maybe we can answer the question on the air. This morning, we are going to be talking with Tom Ogren, who has written about gardening with allergies for many years. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Kate. Great to be here with you. Oh, thank you. Um, as I mentioned, you wrote your first uh, book um, about the connection of urban landscape and allergies back in 2003, um, which was Safe Sex in the Garden, which was a really um, great title for this. I think I was on a plane when I read it, and people gave me very strange looks. Um, but, but let's start with the research that went into that book um, and and why you were spurred to maybe look into that issue yeah um, I've been married to the same wife for many years her name's Yvonne and uh, she's got asthma and bad allergies and um, I, I don't have any allergies to speak of or asthma either luckily but um well, we were first married because I read some book by a MD called Psychosomatic Illnesses, and he dismissed allergies as uh, something that affected women mostly, and that was because women were prone to hysteria, as he put it. And uh, I just sort of sucked that up, and so... My wife would be having an asthma attack or terrible allergies, and I wouldn't be sympathetic at all. I would be like, oh, you know, if you had your act together like I do, you wouldn't have these allergies. Just a terrible, <laughs> <laughs> terrible attitude in retrospect. But uh, after a number of years, uh, I started... I started noticing certain trees blooming and then a lot of people sneezing and getting sick, and, and I, I started question in it and uh, I was teaching horticulture at the time and uh, so I got with my students and I said how about we go out in the garden and we sniff different types of flowers and we record and see if anybody gets any response to it and uh, so we started out with like pansies and, and nobody had a problem and some double dianthus and no one had a problem and then we uh and we did a, a plant called bottle brush, Callistemon citrinus, with these red flowers that have little golden-tipped anthers all over them, so pollen very easily accessible. And uh, within minutes, we had about a third of the class uh, who sniffed this sneezing crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, some of the guys were sneezing uh, a week later from that. And, and right then, I knew uh, this uh, psychosomatic business about allergies with, with baloney, and uh, immediately I got curious. And so, over the next few months, 
uh, I sniffed test different flowers with everyone I knew, anybody that would do it. <laughs> and uh, I almost uh, put my mother in the hospital with a sniff test or something that was pretty <laughs> allergenic. But I, and eventually I, I quit doing the sniff test because uh, uh, some of them were proving to be dangerous. But uh, uh, I just bought a new house. And uh, and I thought, well, you know, I should landscape this house so that absolutely nothing in my yard will make Yvonne sick. And uh, uh, so I went out to buy a book on allergy-free gardening, and um, there was no book on it. Uh, there was nothing on it. And uh, so I remember one time I, I, I heard a, a rumor from someone that uh, Pacific Coast Nurseryman Magazine had written an article on allergy-free gardening, or someone seemed to think that. So I went to this uh, university, and uh, I was talking to the research librarian, and she was going through all these old copies. Finally, she said, well, what is it you're looking for? And I said, well, I heard there was an article about uh, allergy-free gardening, and the lady started to laugh. And I said, well, what's so funny? And she said, well, it's the gardens that cause the allergies. And I said, I knew this much at that point anyhow. I said, well, some plants cause allergies and some do not. I, I want to know the difference. And uh, so I just started to study the plants. Uh, and I started to read all the allergy books and all the allergy data that I could get everywhere, and uh, I read hundreds of books on this, and uh, at a certain point, I started to notice that the ones that were triggering the very worst allergies, the biggest sort of epidemics of them, uh, were dioecious plants, and dioecious simply means separate sex. So if you have like a red maple tree or a juniper or a mulberry or a willow or something like that, a poplar tree, these are all separate sex. And so I started to uh, collect close-up photos of the flowers of these trees. And uh, right away I started noticing that I was able to find... uh, male trees in my own town, uh, which is San Luis Obispo, California, and uh, I was able to find, like, you know, ash trees. I could find hundreds of male trees, but I couldn't find any females, and I started noticing this with all these species that I was looking for that were landscape plants, and uh, there were certain species that um, that to this day I've never found a female of, uh, and yet there are thousands of them used in the landscapes. And I thought that was very, very peculiar. And initially I thought it was just uh, representative of my own town, but in years past I've found this pretty much all around the world. Um, uh, I coined the term somewhere along the line, botanical sexism. And uh, that's even used in some learned journals of plants and allergy now. And what it means is that 
whenever there were separate sex plants, the nursery industry only propagated the male plants because they didn't, uh, male plants don't produce any seeds and they don't produce any seed pods and they don't produce any fruit. And so they started to sell these things as uh, low maintenance or litter free. And they became usually popular and uh, horticulture has sold literally billions of them uh, since. The big problem is that if you have a separate sex tree or a shrub, the female will produce fruit or seeds, but she doesn't produce any pollen. Her job is to catch pollen. The male, on the other hand, will produce prodigious amounts of pollen. And so what started happening is they started stacking the cities full of male clones. in the United States in particular, this kicked off heavy after uh, Dutch elm disease. Uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Dutch elm disease, but I am. And uh, used to be elm trees lined all kinds of cities in America. And the elms were perfect flowered. That uh, meant the uh, insects pollinated them. And there was a bit of allergy from elms just because they were so common, but, but not that much. But then the Dutch elm disease killed off oh, probably 99% of the elms, mm. and uh, this would be in the 1960s and 70s. And when the elms disappeared, they had to replant, and by then they, they were big into these uh, milk clones, and so they started uh, planting vast amounts of those in the cities, and correspondingly the rates of allergy which had only been around two to five percent historically just started to jump and uh pretty much every year since the rates of asthma and allergies have have risen but uh, i guess you could say i sort of got into this yeah. By accident, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it's primarily the the trees then um, that are, I guess, in urban landscape that are the problem. It do, it doesn't affect then um, the things like the the roses and the pollinators that we'd want in the garden, particularly if we had, for instance, a vegetable garden. We're talking predominantly trees and shrubs here, not um, the flower, flowers and perennials, right? Well, it's it's. It it used to be that way, but uh, even that is changing. Uh, the vegetables, um, I don't see allergies being kicked off by vegetable plants. Uh, maybe the only exception would be uh, if you live next to a, a field where they were growing asparagus, because asparagus is separate sex, and they have certain clones that are all male. And if you live next to a field of that, you'd get an awful lot of asparagus pollen, and that would become allergenic. But for the most part, the vegetables are benign. But uh, with the perennials, uh, probably 9 out of 10 are not very allergenic, but uh, but there's exceptions. And uh, I mean, in the last two years, Kate, I'm starting to see things like all male cultivars of begonias, for crying out loud. Now, in nature, there's no such thing as an all male begonia. Oh. The, begonias, <laughs> the begonias have both sexes on them, 
And although each individual begonia flower, if you look at it, if you look at the back of the begonia flower and you see the calyx where the seeds would form, that's a female flower. But then you'll see other begonia flowers that, that are lacking that, and that's the male flower. But uh, they somehow figured out a way to produce begonias now that are all male. And, uh, I mean, they're quite beautiful, but uh, there's not a female flower on them. The whole plant is not male flowers now. Yeah. I mean, just, just I guess sometimes just because um, you can do something, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you that you should but you know we need to go for our first commercial break here but we will be back with more about landscape that's safe for allergies uh with tom ogren on the master garden hour we'll be back in just a moment the disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp what should be the course of treatment Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Tracy Pearson at Prissy Tomboy. Are you looking for a way to inspire your pre-teen to teen girl to get outside and play? Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on America's Web Radio. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Master Gardener Hour. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at the Master Gardener Hour. And if you miss any shows, you can find the archives at americaswebradio.com webpage. And you can find them on iTunes and on Stitchers. And so, Tom, we talked um, a little about the pro- problem, I guess, with um, urban trees. And it wasn't so much um, with perennials and things like that, but it's kind of the, the, the guys that are the problem, And it's not such a problem when you have the guys and the gals together doing what nature intended. But I I remember in England, probably a decade or so ago, there was a whole heap of um, planting of uh, something called rapeseed, which is part of um, the mustard family, uh, bright yellow flowers. And uh, I seem to recall there were a lot of allergies to that. Uh, And that would be another case, I guess, of... um, when pe- people, I guess, plant too much of one one thing, people fall, always fall down with an allergy. Or is that is that more prone towards people having allergies? Yeah, that, well, the rapeseed would be a good example of that. Uh, it, it'd be an example of two things, I guess, at least. Uh, one, it would be where you you plant nothing but the same thing, so you've got 
a massive amount of all the same thing. I mean, uh, uh, you could probably trigger allergies. Uh, for example, you take roses. We mentioned them before. The only people that I meet that have allergies to roses are rose breeders. And I've met quite a few rose breeders who are now allergic to pollen from roses. And that's because they're uh, surrounded by roses and they're monkeying with it all the time. Uh, the other thing that rapeseed uh, brings to my mind is that is what I call proximity pollenosis, meaning the closer you are to the source of the pollen, the greater the likelihood you're going to get uh, an allergy from it or asthma. And uh, the, if they plant the rape field right across from where you live, then your chances are great. Uh, but uh, there was a, a, a similar thing in the United States during World War II that allergists told me about where they planted uh, big fields of castor bean to uh, get the castor bean oil from it. And they did this in the Midwest. And, and the reason they planted it in the United States, they had previously got it from somewhere else that they weren't able to do during the war, but uh, they needed the oil. So they planted big fields of castor beans. And within two years, there were thousands of people that were having terrible allergies from castor beans. Uh, which is a, an exceptionally uh, allergenic garden plant. Hmm. Um, interesting with castamine, uh, the pollen, it doesn't take very much either. It usually uh, triggers asthma as opposed to simple allergies. But, uh, yeah, pretty much for the most part, uh, my work is mostly focused on uh, the trees and the shrubs, the woody plants. Uh, although I'm becoming increasingly interested in grasses, uh, I've got uh, I've got a half a dozen grasses here that I'm growing that are uh, female clones, and they don't produce any pollen. and And some of them are quite nice. And uh, I foresee in the future when the world decides that uh, we want to get serious about allergies mm -hmm. and asthma that uh, uh, yeah. people will start to plant these pollen-free lawns. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, um, and I know that. Um, I mean, some some plants, like for instance, um, the holly, um, you get a male and a female. Um, but so, and it's obviously the males that are, are predominantly the problem. Um, so, how yeah. when, when when you are at a nursery, you can usually tell by the name of them, the variety, the blueprints and blue princess, whatever. But if you if you inherit a, a landscape, how can you tell whether you've got um, the males of something or the females of something unless you actually get some sort of flower or fruit at the end of it? Um, is there a way before you get to that stage that you can tell the guys from the gals? Um, um. You know, I've been doing, I've been, well, I published, actually I published Allergy Free Gardening before I published Safe Sets in the Garden. And I published that book first in, uh, it went through a couple of editions. I published it in the year 2000. And uh, I've had my own website, Allergy Free Gardening, up for 16 years. So I get a huge amount of email from readers. And a lot of readers tell me that, 
whenever they go to the nursery, they just take a copy of my book with them. And before they buy any kind of a tree or a shrub, they look it up and see if they want to have it in their yard or not. And, they, and the reason is is that I, I list, I, I've, I've done this for years, I list which cultivars are male and which are female of, of all these different species. And, you know, if you take a plant like a juniper, uh, there are hundreds of different cultivars, and each one has a different shape and a different look and so on. Uh, but each one of them will be either always a male or always a female. And uh, the female will have berries, but maybe it won't be old enough to have berries when you look at it in the nursery. So you'd have to have the correct name of it, and you'd have to know. Um, same thing, for example, with, oh, ewes or something like that. Um and I know that um, the the opals, which is the Ogren allergy scale, which you talk about um, on your site and in in the books, um, how can we use that um, to actually pick out maybe um, a decent couple of decent landscape plants? Um, does it list it by variety, the plants by variety, or is it just mainly um, plants plants that are good, or or trees and shrubs that are are good for an allergy sensitive garden? Um, no, in, in my latest book, The Allergy Fighting Garden, which uh, will be in stores on the 17th of February, although I guess you can pre-order it online now. Um, and uh, the, the opals is in there, and opal stands for Ogren Plant Allergy Scale, uh, Ogren being me, Tom Ogren. But anyhow... Uh, the reason I came up with opals is I, I've been studying this uh, material for probably a decade, and quite a few people were finding out that I had data that nobody else had. And so people would call me, and I started in pre-computer era, so everything was written out on typewriters and in, on paper, and, and people would uh, get a hold of me and want to know some information about a plant, and I would have to look through stacks of papers and so on. And then when I would try to explain it to them, I would say, you know, so-and-so plant is monaceous and it's whatever. And, and the terminology, then I would have to explain that. So it would take me a long time to explain uh, why I would, saying what I was saying about any particular plant. And so at a certain point, I decided that most people didn't have my background in horticulture. And uh, I, wa I wanted to make it simpler. And, and so I devised a system where I would rank all the plants on a 1 to 10 basis. And I made, I made the 1 be the best, the least allergenic and 10 being the very worst, the most allergenic you could have in your yard. And so, and then I devised a, a, a system for doing this, and eventually I was able to use computers for it, which is a lot easier. But I came up with like a hundred and, I think 137 different factors uh, that I could use to determine a ranking, and I would basically just crunch the numbers and I'd come up with the 1 to 10. And uh, so in my book, I, I rank uh, more than 3,000 different uh, species and cultivars. 
And so if if you go to a nursery and, a, and you look at a plant that has an opal's ranking of three, say, it's not very allergenic. And uh, if you look at one and it's an eight or nine, well, it's, it's getting a lot more potential there, and you maybe think twice before you plant it. And, but uh, opals is now, uh, it's now used by quite a few cities. It's been used for years by the, by the urban foresters and the USDA, uh, some of the American Lung Associations and so on, uh, use opals. But, uh, yeah, opals has been a, um, they're, uh, I'm trying to convince nurseries to tag plants with opals. Oh, that would be useful. Um, oh, well, that's just the simplest thing. Have you ever been to the Isle of Guernsey? No, I haven't, no. Well, Guernsey is in the Channel Islands, uh, in the English Channel, in between France and England. Uh-huh. And uh, I became good friends with a, a large nursery owner there, a place called Q Patio Plants. And uh, he finally uh, just printed up tags, uh, uh, with my permission, and and he uses the opals tags on every plant that he sells, and uh, interesting, like the the doctors in uh, in Guernsey, because uh, I was there and I talked to some of them. They told me, yeah, we recommend our patients um, that like to garden go to that nursery because they can just look at the tag on the plant and. Uh, tell how allergenic or not it is uh, it's made it very simple for people but at this point in time and certainly in the United States uh, that's not an option yet but uh, there's a there's a nursery in South Carolina um, where a fellow is uh, growing a lot of plants now uh, thousands of things and he's, he's growing a lot of female trees and shrubs that nobody else is growing. Uh, for, for example, you mentioned uh, Ilex holly. Uh, holly would seem to be just about the only plant, uh, landscape plant anyhow, where uh, nurseries have grown a lot of the females. And then you said, well, you could tell by the name of it if it was like Prince Charles or something. You yeah. would assume it was a, a, a male or, or Princess Diana, you'd assume it was a female. And with the hollies, that's correct. But with all these other plants, uh, the names are very confusing because uh, uh, a lot of them uh, will have like a female name, uh, and then it'll be a male plant. Oh. (laughs) I've probably come up with a thousand different examples of that, uh, with the trees. Yeah, where they would like, uh, name it, uh, you know, uh, but it, yeah, I mean, I mean, it would it would seem that if you could put uh, deer friendly on um, or, or good for deer guard, gardening, deer resistant, that they ought to be able to figure out a way of uh, putting the the opal value or the allergy value on there. But you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here, but come back sure. and we'll be talking more about allergy proofing your garden with Tom Ogren. When we come back, we'll talk about some good plants on the Master Gardener Hour. We will be right back. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Have you tuned in to the Master Gardener Hour lately? We have a brand new look. Come and join me, the new host, Kate Copsey, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You are back listening to the Master Gardener Hour. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey. And this morning we are talking allergy-proofing the garden with Tom Ogren. Um, and we talked about the um, Ogren allergy scale or the opals in the last segment. And you were saying that sometimes um, the names of plants aren't quite as um, apparent as to which one is the male any longer. Um, so with, with your, I guess with your, your scale, we can take some kind of um, reference to maybe the nursery. Um, but how, what, what do we do? We, we know that we've got something in our garden that maybe is not good for us and maybe even worse, there's something in next door's garden that really makes us toxic air for, for us. So how do we deal with the, the small closed environments of subdivisions um, where everybody kind of has these open backyards and we've got neighbours that we have to get on with? How do we deal with the allergy situation there? Okay, so that's an excellent question, Kate. Uh, and, and there's a number of ways to go around it. Uh, first would be that if you're planting something, not to plant something highly allergenic in your own yard, particularly a tree or a shrub, because it might live for a hundred years and it's going to each year gets bigger and causes more problems. But if you've got an existing plant, that's allergenic in your own yard. Say, for example, you've got uh, an alder or a birch tree. Uh, the pollen of both of them quite allergenic. Uh, at this time of year, the pollen cones are already formed and they're on the tree, even though the tree is dormant. And so if you lightly prune these things, 
pruning off perhaps, oh, say, eight, ten inches of the tips of most all the branches, you would remove almost all of the pollen for next season. It just wouldn't be there. Oh. Uh, and I'm getting interest in uh, these pruning away pollen from uh, from city arborists. Uh, but there appears to be, like, uh, quite an opportunity for arborists to do uh, preventative pruning uh, of trees uh where if they just shear them this time of year, they're not going to get the pollen. Uh, for example, if you, you take like in London, they have a lot of these London plane trees. which Oh, beautiful trees. <laughs> yeah, beautiful trees. And uh, But they get very big, and the, the trees have separate sex flowers on them, both on the same tree, monaceous. But in a lot of areas of London, they'll pollard these trees. We'll cut them back fairly hard every year. And they do it mostly to let in more sunlight and also control the size of these things because they can get huge. But when they pollard them, uh, that next spring, that tree doesn't produce any pollen. And that's because, again, uh, the they won't produce the pollen on the brand new wood, only on wood that's two years old. Now, you can do this with almost any tree, with the exception of a male fruitless mulberry, uh, because those things uh, produce the pollen on new wood. So the harder you produce, prune them, the, the more pollen you get. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but with a great many of them, you can uh, literally prune away the pollen. Uh, the other thing is that I ask people to go talk to their neighbors and see if they can't work something out, you know. Mm. Um, in some cases, neighbors will be uh, cooperative with you. In some cases, if you if a tree needs to be removed, uh, if you offer to share the cost of it or something, that happens. And, and then the last thing I would say is that there are now starting to be some lawsuits over pollen, um, and just just recently, there was the University of Minnesota Law School, uh, a law review journal article by a lawyer called Regulating Pollen, and the fellow's name is Brian Sawyers, who wrote it, uh, and he sees pollen as, uh, as a potential trespass issue, so say say you have a child in your house who's highly allergenic, and if uh, he or she gets exposed to large amounts of particular type of pollen, uh, it could maybe kill them. And your neighbor decides that they, they want to plant a row of that exact tree right next to the property line, so it's all going to come into your yard. Uh, if you go and talk to them about it, and you can't, and they won't do anything. Uh, you probably now have the basis to, of a lawsuit. I, I was involved as an expert witness in a lawsuit, uh, and this one involved the school uh, in New Zealand a number of years ago, where um, school planted a row of silver birch right through the middle of an elementary school, and uh, uh, a doctor who had a 
I think, a nine-year-old daughter, if I remember, uh, who went to that school and was very allergic to that. He protested this and wanted them to replace him with something that was allergy-friendly. And the school told him no, and so he sued him. And it went to court, and uh, I provided expert witness. And the doctor won the case, and the school uh, did have to remove the birch trees, and then they replaced them with the uh, October Glory uh, cultivar red maple that's actually a female. And so years later now, there's a nice row of these October Glory maples that are female growing in the school, and they don't produce any pollen, and uh, the kids are not getting exposed. So, I mean, if the worst came to worse when you were dealing with uh, uh, things that are sort of out of your control like that, uh, there is the potential for the, for the law to get involved in it. Another thing would be that certain cities are uh, putting up uh, pollen control ordinances now. Oh. Um, and a good example would be Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, in Albuquerque, uh, there was a child, uh, a six-year-old boy, and he was at the city zoo, and it was landscape of a lot of male junipers. And he was running and playing with the kids, and he tripped and he fell face first into the junipers, which were blooming in a big cloud of like dust came up with pollen. And everybody thought it was funny, and, uh, but after a while, they couldn't find the boy, and they went looking for him, and they found him huddled up under a under a bench, and he was in full anaphylactic shock, and uh, later died uh, from that. And in Albuquerque, there's a there's an old botany professor named Dr. Potter, and he was he had also noticed what I had noticed that uh, in landscapes, the uh, cities use so many of these male clones. And so Dr. Potter had told his students over the years, he didn't write about it, but he taught a lot of students in Albuquerque. And, he's, and, and so people who had been students to this Dr. Potter told the parents of, of that boy that the city's landscaping killed your son. And so there was a lot of protest about this. The parents sued the city of Albuquerque, and it was settled out of court. So we don't know how much money they got or anything. But part of the thing, the agreement was that Albuquerque would put in a pollen control ordinance. And so in Albuquerque, you can't sell a male juniper or a male mulberry tree. or uh, They pretty much outlawed these, these male clones as being too allergenic. And other cities have uh, followed suit. So now there's quite a and not as many as I'd like to see, but uh, Las Vegas has one, and uh, Phoenix has one, and Tucson, Arizona has one, and Beverly Hills has one, and so on and so forth. But uh, the state of California is talking about a, a statewide uh, pollen control ordinance, uh, which I'm trying to drive. But uh, and, 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 that, uh, and that, that would apply to homeowners as well as... Uh, public buildings like like schools and and parks then yes it would because uh in albuquerque what they did was uh they simply put a ban on planting or selling of these particular plants uh for example here in california all of trees the pollen is exceptionally 
asthma. And it only takes a couple of these olive trees on the block to uh, basically pollute the air on the whole block. And uh, so, like in uh, those same cities I mentioned, they outlawed planting any more olive trees. They, they didn't, uh, they grandfathered in the existing trees, and so nobody had to remove any trees, and so it didn't totally solve the problem by any means, but at least a pollen control ordinance was a way to stop it from getting any worse. Um, the, and so, and so, certainly if, if it's killing um, children and making children um, sick, um, you, you'd think that people would be thinking about it, <laughs> at least. Well, you would hope that they would think about it, but uh, people don't always make the connections. Uh, often the uh, elementary schools are the most highly allergenic type of landscape that you can find because they purposely... Uh, planted them with milk plants so that they wouldn't drop any fruits or seeds or berries or anything that kids could pick up and throw around at each other and have fun with. And, and so they put in these very sterile clonal milk plants. Um, hmm. <laughs> you know, earlier we mentioned, to, to divert a second, we mentioned pollinators. Uh, the male, the male these, most of these male clones don't provide any type of food source for wildlife whatsoever. Um, the yeah. insects don't come to the flowers. They don't make any food for, for the birds. So, 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 in fact, uh, apart from a commercial aspect, they've got no real value, uh, maybe some aesthetic value, but they're, they're not really valuable, um, I guess, in the landscape. But, uh, but you know, we need to take our final commercial break here, Tom. Um, but come back, everyone, to listen to more about how you can find some of these books uh, and where you can go and find Tom speaking. We will be right back. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. you're enjoying the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We have been talking about allergies in the garden um, and in the last segment we kind of finished with um, the way that people uh, maybe are addressing or particularly municipalities and statewide the pollen issue um, and in the break Tom you were talking about a milkweed highway um, I would have thought milkweed would not be good for allergies. Am I wrong in that? I know it's good for butterflies and, and native plants and things but is it good for allergies too? Yeah, milkweed actually is good for allergies. The, the pollen in the milkweed is always in clumps, 
and as a result, the clumps are too big and too heavy to get into the air, so we don't see any allergies from people inhaling milkweed pollen. And, and yet there's, there's all these different species of butterflies, in particular the monarch, that are totally dependent on milkweed. They, uh, they can't really live without the milkweeds. And so there's an organization, a nonprofit called Safe Gardening, that I'm uh, affiliated with, and they're starting something called the Milkweed Highway, where they have an interactive map, and if you're planting milkweeds and you agree to try to maintain them, then you can click on it, you can put your name and your address on it, and then boom, it will put a spot on the highway. Uh, and, and what we want is a highway to run all the way across the United States and then zigzag back and forth and hoping to get thousands and thousands of different gardeners who will actually plant milkweeds. Um, and, and when you're planting the milkweeds, you, you, you want to plant the native species. These are the best. Um, but uh, safe gardening, uh, I think the URL would be www.safegardening.org. But uh, that, that's for Safe gardening is pretty much set up to promote the concepts of allergy-fighting gardens, um, particularly where it is around schools. But uh, I invite everybody to go take a look at it and get joined up in that milkweed highway. Yeah, yeah. Can can they get your books through your uh, that allergy-free um, website, or do we have to go to Amazon or the local bookstore to get it? Uh, I, I see that this latest book is already, it's on, it's on a whole lot of different, uh, book selling websites. It's on Amazon. It's on, uh, good Lord, it's even at uh, walmart.com or something, you know, uh, it's on, uh, Random House is a publisher. It's sold through Random House, uh, website. You can, you can buy it direct off of my own uh, website, which is allergyfreegardening.com, and um, and the book itself will be in the stores seventeenth uh, of February. So just uh, just before gar- sure. just before garden season actually starts, so we can uh, find out. I guess. Uh, well, well yes, the, yes. the reason I asked them to to put it out early was that in places like Southern California. And in Florida and so on, uh, their allergy season is already starting to kick oh, off down yes. there. Yeah. And the, the season goes, you know, the further north, the longer it takes. But, uh, I mean, even here in California, I'm now seeing, uh, I'm seeing the male willows starting to bloom. The male poppers are blooming. Uh, acacia trees putting a lot of pollen out. Uh, so, yeah, somewhere there's something going on right now. Um, but, uh, the, 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 the book should be pretty widely available this year. Okay. Um, um, and, and if somebody wanted maybe for you to give, um, a talk to, to them, is there a way maybe that they can, um, contact you through your webpage for something like that? Yeah. I, I mean, I could be contacted either through Safe Gardening's, uh, website or through my own Allergy Free Gardening website. And uh, I answer all my own emails. Uh, if people have a 
particular question they want to, or a story they want to tell me about it or whatever. I answer thousands and thousands of emails. Um, it's one of the ways I've learned as much as I have about this is, is people contacting me and asking me questions. But, uh, but they could uh, get a signed copy if they go to one of your talks and organize a talk, right? Oh, yeah. I, I always bring books and signed copies at my talks. And uh, I haven't even started to, like, promote the lineup talks yet. I'm just, like, about to. I, I, right now I've been, like, looking for book reviewers. Uh, for example, the, tomorrow at 11 o'clock in the morning I'm doing a... a phone interview with the largest newspaper in Ireland. I mean, oh, good I'm Lord. Getting, <laughs> well, no, no, really, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting interest from all around the world this time, and I'm also getting interest from a lot of heavyweights uh, in the medical profession. So I'm getting, book, I'm going to have book reviews in uh, all of these big medical uh, allergy journals and everything. It, it, it took a long time for them to sort of pick up on my work, but they finally realized that what I was doing was it was serious and valid and that my research was good and that it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. Yeah, I think it's great that you're, you're now finally um, getting maybe municipalities and things on board and doing something about this because, you know, that trail across the, um, the country of the, the one-sided tree, um, it, it takes, yeah. I, I mean... Municipalities and towns and governments are, I mean, they, they, they move at the pace of a slug. And getting through right. to them is a bit like banging your head on a brick wall. Um, so yeah. so I, I would imagine 10 years is a pretty good, um, a pretty good t- time for getting everything sorted with that side. Oh, I, I knew it was going to be a tough road to hold from the beginning, you know, but... Uh I, and I was surprised it took as long as it did. But, yeah, things are actually starting to happen now, and that's exciting. But um, and, and as to the talks, I, I love to give talks to, uh, like, garden clubs, and I love to give talks to uh, big groups of master gardeners and things like that. Uh, and I'm always open for that. Uh, and... Uh, and you say that you've got some of those actually listed on your website. Um, are most of them kind of open to the general public, your talks, or, or do you have to become a member of the, the Garden Club or do a trial membership or something? Uh, you know, I think most of these are open to the public. Okay. Uh, I would prefer, I, I would, I, you know, that's what I prefer is, you know, you probably do some public speaking yourself. The, the bigger the, the group, the more exciting it is, and you can kind of get energy off a large group. I've spoke to small yeah. groups and have given mm-hmm. good talk anyhow, but uh, um, uh, I, I enjoy that, and uh, my talks are informal, and I don't mind people asking me questions in the middle of the talk or anything, and it's... Uh, <laughs> uh, and and, and I'm, not, I'm not just an allergy researcher. I, I'm a... I'm a gardener myself. I've been gardening since I was a little kid. I've owned two nurseries. Uh, I once had my own radio talk show. In oh, very Minnesota nice. On public radio. Uh, I'm, I'm quite the gardener, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and what about social media? Are you on Facebook and Twitter? And, um, yes, all those... I am on Facebook, and I would uh, love it uh, if people uh, looked me up. And, uh, you know, the Facebook is a crazy thing. I... I, I I started one once, uh, 
under the name of Tom Ogren and uh, and then didn't use it at all and forgot about it. And then I went and started a Facebook under the name of Tommy Ogren, which uh, is what my my brothers and sisters call me. And uh, so I've got two Facebook pages, Tom Ogren and Tommy Ogren. But uh, <laughs> if, if any of your listeners send me a request, we could certainly be Facebook friends. I, I'd be more than happy to do yeah. that, yeah. So it's not under allergy-free gardening then on Facebook, it's under your name. Um, you know, there might even be a site called Allergy-Free Gardening that, that one of my fans set up or something, you know, but... Uh, and you could probably join that, too, if the person were so inclined. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and it's, but, I, but I, I'm, I'm very easy to get a hold of. You know, a, a lot of writers, they kind of, like, hide their email or something. They don't want they don't want to get too much email. And, and and it does take a lot of your time or something. But uh, uh, nowadays, it's a wonderful thing with, with the Internet is that we can all become connected so much easier than in the past, and uh, I recently sent a query to a, a doctor named uh, Eric Topol, and Topol is the editor-in-chief of Medscape, and he's considered one of the most influential doctors in America, and right away he replied and uh, said, yeah, please send me a copy of your book, I'd like to read it, you know what I mean? Oh, and wow. uh and a couple of days ago, I, I, I read a, an article in the newspaper by Leonard Pitts, who's quite a, a wonderful writer, and uh, I sent him a, an email, and then I mentioned something about my book, and he, and he responded and said, oh, please send it to me, you know? So, uh, yeah. And, and this is the, this is the th- second or third, third book that you've done on allergy-free gardening now? This is, this is the third book. And, and this book combines the best of, of allergy-free gardening and safe sex in the garden, plus all the new material that I've learned in the last decade or so. And I'm a, I'm a perennial student. I'm always studying. And uh, I just, I read a lot, you know, and I, I think I will be studying horticulture as long as I'm alive, you know what I mean? Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the great things about horticulture is that no matter how good a gardener you are or how good a horticulturalist you are, you never know all the the tricks that there are to learn. You you never know all the plants that you see (laughs) and everything, you know? And and particularly when you go to a different area like California, I always think that California being the other side... um, the, the rock is, it's almost like a different country um, with all the different plants. Um, I'm going to be go, going there this year. But the different plants and e- even the birds, you know, you look at an average bird book and, you know, hummingbirds, you know, there, there's the eastern right. one and then there's the, the five different ones that are in California. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, true. It's, it's, I'm a birder myself. And so everywhere I go, there's different birds. And yeah. uh, I gave some talks on allergy-free gardening in Israel two years ago, and while I was there, oh, the birds, you know, I picked up 122 new species of birds, and then the plants were different, too. Um, yes, it's yes. It's a tricky thing in my position, because I go and I'm supposed to be the expert. <laughs> People assume I know every plant I see, and you know, it, the more you travel, the more different <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but unfortunately, Tom, we're kind of at the end of the show. I mean, it's been a great talk, um, and I really appreciate oh, I you it, yeah. spending the time here. Um, but uh, but ev- everyone, um, it's the Allergy Free Gardening by Tom Ogren, um, and you no, can. F- no, we're looking for the Allergy Fighting Garden. Oh, New oh. Style. Oh, okay. Um, okay, um, that's all for this week, folks. Um, thank you for listening to the Master Gardener Hour this morning. We'll be back next week with another show talking all about gardens and gardening. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.